Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. The Old Testament book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 11. The book of 2 Samuel and chapter number 11. We just now started a series of the life and ministry of Solomon, King Solomon. And we had started on Wednesday night, or last Sunday night, speaking about the Davidic covenant. That God had made a promise to King David that he would have a seed that would reign forever. That from his seed, uh, someone that would come from his bowels, the kingdom would last forever. And we know that Solomon is going to be the next step in that with the ultimate fulfillment of the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilling the promise that God had given to David. Now as we go on through history that God had given the promise to David, now we're going to explore the circumstances of how Solomon became existed in the first place. How did mom meet dad and how did dad meet mom? And whereas we would hope that more stories are we found each other in church or we found each other serving the Lord, unfortunately not all relationships begin that way. And we find the historical account of how Solomon's mother met with his father, David the king, in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 11. The book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 11, and notice with me in verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse number 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house, and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But... Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David 
said unto Uriah, Comest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thy house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the field, open fields. Shall I then go into mine house and eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and made him drunk. And even, and even he went to lie in his bed with the servants of the Lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass that in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in that letter, in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass that when Joab observed the city, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. <laughs> And Joab sent and told David the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if it be so that the king's wrath arise, and say unto thee, Wherefore approached ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? Know ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerobotheseth? And did not a woman cast a piece of the millstone upon him from the wall that he died in Thebes? Why went ye nigh to the wall? Then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent him for. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us into the field. And we were upon them even to the entering of the gate. And the shooters shot from the wall upon thy servants. And some of the king's servants be dead, and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said unto the messenger, Thou shalt say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing had David had done displeased the Lord. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11? The book of 2 Samuel chapter 11, and notice with me in verse number 3, notice the phrase, Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite. And with this, we're going to do a character study on Uriah the Hittite and do almost a comparison to David in this account here. And we want to push this emphasis here on Uriah the Hittite. 
If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, we know that you're a God who is in control of everything and we can trust you and we can depend upon you. We're thankful that your Holy Spirit is real and that we can expect you to do your own work. Help us to be our minds and our hearts and our thoughts be upon you. That we could search this matter out. That we could see these things. That you would open up the scriptures. Lord, as for me, I know I cannot and I dare not trust my own flesh, my own ability, my own skills. I am nothing. I recognize that everything that I am falls short. So the best that I know how, I surrender myself to you, my thoughts, my ambitions, my goals, my desires, my control. I give it all to you and ask that you fill me with your spirit and that you would get your own work accomplished. That through the message this morning and through the message tonight, that you would grant great victory to the lives of those that hear. And that you could help people with some struggles that they may have in their own personal lives. That you could truly do something wonderful. And that you would get the glory and honor because of it. And because we're expecting such great victories, we again cast our dependence upon you knowing that it's only by you that could grant such great victories. Help us even now. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. In this story in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11 is one of the very few times where David is not the hero of the story, but in fact... He's the villain of the story. In this time, David is not right with God. And he does something unthinkable. Which is added to something else unthinkable. Which is then compounded with something else unthinkable. And if you were to go and say, God had chosen David, the man after God's own heart. And then you come to this chapter, it doesn't match. What has happened in David's life to allow these tragedies to occur? Well, if you don't mind, let's examine here as we put the emphasis on the hero of this story of Uriah the Hittite and compare him to the villain of David. The first thing we want to put an emphasis here is Uriah's wife. Uriah's wife. Notice with me in verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel that they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. So here's a time where it was... The season for David to send forth his troops to battle. They were still fighting from the dishonor given by the Ammonites. And now was a time where they had collected their forces. And they were going off to war to defeat this foe. This foe that hated the Hebrew people. That did everything they could over and over to try to disrupt and destroy the people. Now David is sending his troops. But... David didn't go with him. This is the first time that David hasn't led the troops. Remember that David was a warrior king. He was the one who slew Goliath when he was about 16 years old. He was the one who had just killed 500 Philistines just to fulfill a dowry for Solomon. Or for King Saul. David was the one who was trusted in battles. The Philistines feared David. And this is the very first time where David didn't lead the troops. But he said, you guys go ahead and go. I'm going to stay here. You know, there is something about having too much time. There's something about idle hands. 
David should have kept himself busy, but instead he had provided himself where he had lots of time. And when we have too much time, we often find ourselves in getting to too much trouble. So one night, the event occurs. Verse number two. And it came to pass that at evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house and the roof that he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Now in this we have to get a little bit of a history. Now at this time there's no running water and there's no uh, water heater. We enjoy those amenities today of a nice warm shower and having a warm thing. Well, what they did do in order to keep their water warm and to take a bath, especially for the rich people, is that many people would have a bath on top of their roof. And they would fill it up with water and because of the hot Palestinian sun, it would warm up the water. And so at evening time, the water would be at a warm temperature. Now, most of the roofs would have almost like a privacy rail around it so people could not look up and see the people taking the shower, taking the bath and, and cleansing themselves. This was a common practice that many people had. The thing was is that David inside of his palace was on the, one of the highest hills and his palace was raised up that he could see all of Jerusalem before him. So as he comes out, he happens to see a beautiful woman taking a bath on the outside. Now, David at this time should have, once he glanced and realized what happened, he should have turned away, said nope. Uh, he should have realized that he had the responsibility. Now, at this time, this specific moment, Bathsheba is not of the wrong. She doesn't realize it. She is taking a normal bath in the place where people take their baths at. She was not expecting the king to come out and to survey everything. And she wasn't expecting the king to become a creepy stalker guy who's just watching her take the bath. Well, David begins to glare. Now, as a reminder that having a glance at sin, is, her glance at something immodest is not necessarily wrong. It's the second glance or it's the lingering glance that becomes sin. If we see something and turn our head right away and we're fine. But David didn't do that. David stared and lingered and looked at her and began to lust after her. Then he began to ask people about her. Notice with me in verse number 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman. So he could figure out where her dress was based off of here. Hey, who's that lady who lives over there? He began to ask questions about it. Notice in verse 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now notice this. He asked questions to find out who she was. The answer he got back was in a form of a question. Notice at the end of verse 3, it's a question mark. Why was this asked, answered in a form of a question? Partly is because Bathsheba was already familiar to David in passing. What do you mean by this? Well, notice as the servant says, this is not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam. Now, this should be a big deal. Her father Eliam was one of David's mighty men. One of David's prized soldiers. So surely that he had a passing knowledge of Bathsheba. On top of that, not only was her father Eliam, notice who her husband was, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. 
Uriah was also one of David's mighty men. On top of that, her grandfather was Epiphethel, one of David's most prized counselors, his advisors. So with her father being a mighty man, her grandfather being one of David's counselors, her husband being one of David's mighty men, he had more than a passing knowledge of who this was. So when the servant hears that David saying, hey, who's that lady over there? When he's asking the question, it's almost as a warning. You know who this is. That's Bathsheba. Why are you asking? The way that you're asking doesn't, you should know better than this. This question was posed as a warning. We'll get this more tonight. But you understand that David had received a warning from God. Wait, whatever you're thinking, don't do this. Amen. Do you know that God often puts barriers in front of us that we have to climb over to get to sin? This is one of those barriers that this servant answers the question, puts up a barrier. What are you thinking? This is Bathsheba. Let me remind you who she is. She is the wife of one of your mighty men. She is the daughter of one of your mighty men. And not spoken here but implied she is the granddaughter of one of your chief advisors. That's a big warning. Don't do it. She's not just some stranger. She is someone that's tied into David's inner circle and to his court. She's not just some random woman. This is going to be a big deal. And think of all the people that are going to be hurt if David carries this through. This is not a victimless crime. We'll speak about Bathsheba and her role in this later. But Uriah is going to be hurt. We're going to see it's more than hurt. Epiphathel is going to get lots of bitterness because of this, because of what David did to his granddaughter. And it doesn't say anything, but we also imply that, that her father, who is one of David's mighty men, who fought battles with him and for him, who is probably on the battlefield right now, is not going to be hurt by this. This is a big deal. And there's a warning. There's a red flag. A servant. David should have said, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You're right, you're right. And should have walked away. But he did not. Now that he knows who he is, she is, has the address. It's now in her head, his head more. Oh, I know exactly who she was. Notice what he does. Verse number four. And David sent messengers. The word sends and the word Took. Notice again. And David sent messengers and took her. Those two words here, especially in Hebrew, are very forceful words. It carries the idea that it was carried by force because David was in control. We're going to see more about this later. But this word send and the word force. In fact, I want you to kind of keep a running tally of where we see this word sent or send. It carries with it, David is in control. He's the one with the power. He's the one with the authority. And he's the one who could have stopped this at any time. No one was forcing David into sin. You know, sometimes we get to this idea, well, the devil made me do it. David could not blame the devil for this. This was his own conscious, purposeful choice, even after having a warning from servants. Don't do this. Don't do this. David is in control, and he makes the choice to carry on with this plan 
of sin. So, she comes, verse 4, and David sent messengers and took her and came in unto her and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness and returned to her house. Now let's pause here. Sometimes Bathsheba is given a pass. We're going to find in other passages later on that she does not get a pass. That whereas David was the king, she still willingly chose to do this and to cheat against her husband. We're going to find later on Bathsheba is going to be quite the manipulator and later on she's going to attempt to manipulate David. That's going to be a further message down the road. But she is all about power as well. And this is the next step to that power. Notice as we go on. And the woman conceived in verse number 5. And sent and told David and said I am with child. So David gets this one night stand. Inquires about her. This isn't just well I met her and then we fell passionately in love. This is an idea that he saw her lusted after her, asked questions, found her address, found out who she was, sent servants to do this. All of this was intentional actions. Brings her in, talks with her. They go ahead and have one night and sin. And he says, all right, that's done and over with. But it was all purposeful decision. Then one day he gets a message, a folded note. I'm with child. Well, there goes that. He was thinking he got away with it. He was thinking, well, this one night sin, it won't happen again. It won't affect me. It's going to turn around to affect quite a bit. Now David's got a choice. What do I do with his information? Now that she's with child, um, we've got to do something about this. And so his first instinct, and like most of our first instinct, instead of confess, instead of get things right, is to cover it up. The second thing I want to show you is not only Uriah's wife, but we want to see Uriah's loyalty. Uriah's loyalty. So David wants to cover this up. He wants to get it so that way he can't be blamed. Let's, uh, let's try to muddle the waters. Let's try to deflect. Let's try to get it so the blame's not on me. The problem is, is that he's in Jerusalem and Uriah's off to war fighting a battle for David. So, notice what happens, verse 6. And David sent to Joab, his, his general, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. Now, this is a little bit unusual. Here, Uriah is one of David's mighty men. But he comes off from the battlefield. David says, hey, tell me how the war is going. Well, why did you pull me from the battlefield? I could have been out there fighting. Why couldn't you get a messenger? Why, why get it from me? This is a little bit unusual. And so, how's the war going? How's David, uh, Joab doing? How's the war going? How's the general? You guys got the supplies you need? David's trying to pass this off like it's casual. Like, you know, I'm just getting information. How's things going? Uh, you guys need anything? Do you need help or anything? I just want to hear it from a, a soldier's point of view. You guys got the, you guys need anything else? And then David's, Passes it off, verse number 8. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. So David now finishes the pleasantries and says, All right, now I want you to go home. Go spend some time with your wife, spend some time with your family, go have a good time, and uh, we'll get you back on the battlefield soon. Now, Uriah is an interesting person. He is called Uriah the Hittite. The word Hittite means that he was not a Hebrew person. 
He's not a Jew. He's not a Hebrew. He actually comes from a region of Turkey. He's actually a Gentile. Interesting enough, his first name, Uriah, means my light is in the Lord. My light is in the Lord. He may have been a Hittite by birth, but he belonged to God by choice. There was a choice that was made that I'm going to follow after God. And because of this, he becomes one of David's trusted men. Even though he's not a Hebrew person, David's putting trust into him. He says, I got confidence in you. He's already built himself up to be one of David's most valiant fighters, one of David's most valiant uh, soldiers. And so David now brings him up, gets the report, go back and spend some time with your wife. But Uriah, instead of going back home, he spends time with the servants. Notice in verse 8, And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. So basically, this is a big gift of food. Hey, I'm going to go not only send you back, but why don't you have a date night with your wife? Here's a gift card to your favorite steak place. Here's some food. Why don't you go cook it up? You have a nice romantic evening with your wife. Here's some food prepared. David's trying to set this up. He's trying to get it so Bathsheba sees her husband, comes home. Oh, honey, I'm so glad to see you. Yeah, the king brought us to this special meal. Oh, what a great romantic deal. And he was hoping that sparks would fly and he'd hope that they would spend some time together. But Uriah ruins David's plan, his great cover-up, by not going home. Notice with me verse 9. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and went not down to his house. So instead of Uriah going home, he stays with other servants in the palace. It gets reported the next morning, verse number 10. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down to his house, David said to Uriah, Comest thou not from thy journey? Why then dost thou not go down to thine house? Now, can you imagine the frustration David would have when he's like, all right, I got this solved. And some servant comes and says, hey, Uriah was down with me last night. Where was you at? Steak place? Was you at a Longhorn Stored House? You know, was he with you? No, he was uh, hanging out with the rest of the servants all night. That's where he slept. Come on, Uriah, you got to work with me here. Go home. So he calls Uriah and says, why don't you go home? I mean, you come home, your wife's there. It's not like you live in a different city. Why don't you go home? Go home. You almost feel the tightness inside of David. I need you to go home. I need you to go. This cover-up doesn't work unless you go home. Come on. But Uriah is not playing fair. He's not helping out. So David asked him, why didn't you go home? Why don't you go spend time with your wife? Notice Uriah here and what he says. Verse number 11, and Uriah said unto David, the ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as my soul liveth, I will not do this thing. Man, you want to talk about loyalty. When David says, why don't you go home to your wife? David's, Uriah says, I can't. My loyalty won't let me. You see, how can I relax when the ark... 
How can I relax when Israel? How can I relax when Judah? How can I relax with Joab and the other soldiers are encamped in open fields, engaged in warfare, and then I'm going to home at ease? Back in the lazy boy. Just relaxing when everyone else is off to war. How can I relax when they're engaged in a great war for their lives? How can I just stay home? How can I relax? Now when you think about this, he said, how can I go back when the ark of God is there? Remember, the ark of the covenant is a representation of the presence of God. Let me tell you where God's at. He's off in the battle. God is helping get them victories. How can I relax here when the battle is out there? He says, Israel, that's his nation. How can I go out when my nation is engaged in battle? How can I relax and be at ease when everyone else is at battle? He talked about Judah. These are his people. How can I go out there when everyone else is engaged in warfare? How can I relax? How can I be at ease? He talks about Joab. That's his biblical authority. Listen, my biblical authority is out there on the front lines. And they're fighting, a, waging a war for you, for the Lord. How can I be at home? What great loyalty. How can I relax when there's a battle going on? How can I relax when God is trying to get something accomplished? When my nation needs me. When my family needs me. When my preacher is laboring. When other Christians are in the battle. How can I be off the battlefield? What a great loyalty from Uriah. Most Christians are content to be away from the battle. And there's a great spiritual battle wage, waging even now. And people are relaxed and taking ease and not engaging in the battle. Remember, there could be no victory without the building. And there could be no victory without the battling. That the battles are part of it. And the battles can be won, but not when we're relaxing when everyone else is engaged in the fight. So David tries to give him another day. Notice what he does in verse 12. And David said to Uriah, tarry here today also and tomorrow I'll let you part. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem and that day and tomorrow. So David hears this and he says, all right, I can't get him to do this because of his conscience. Let's see if I could violate his conscience. Let's see if I could get something to lower his inhibitions. Verse number 13. And when David called him, he did eat and drink before him. And may, he, David, made him Uriah drunk. And at even he went to lie on his bed with his servants of the Lord, but went not down to his house. So David said, listen, all right, fine. I'm just going to get him drunk. So here, we're going to have someone in your honor. Such loyalty needs to be rewarded. And so he got him drunk, gave him alcohol. Got him to the place where he was hoping that Uriah, by instinct, would just stumble at home. If he could just get him home. But Uriah had such loyalty that he still, while he was drunk, still refused to go home. How can I go home when there's a battle raging? That's not my place. My place is out in the battlefield. David is just dying now. He's trying to get this cover up and Uriah won't help him. Come on, Uriah, I need you to go home. I needed to make, look, make it look like you were the father of this child. I know there's a couple months gap, but you know, maybe the child will be born later. Maybe people can't math well. But you know, Uriah, just go home. Why do you need me to go home? Go say hello to your wife. Why is this so important to you? Just go home. Well, I can't go home. All right, here. You know what? Go ahead and drink. Go and drink. Probably the whole time. Hey, go see Bathsheba. I'd like to go see Bathsheba, but I can't. All right, give him some more liquor. 
go home. I don't want to go home. I can't. My, my, everybody's out fighting the battle. David's trying to do this cover-up, but it's not working. He's just trying to get it. He's trying to cover his own sin. And it's not working. So finally, even while drunk, it didn't stop his loyalty. So we go from Uriah's wife to Uriah's loyalty to finally Uriah's faithfulness. So David's got to take drastic measures. Now, at any time, David could have just got confessed and got things right. Could have said, hey, I messed up, but I messed up royalty. I know, but nope, that's not how sin goes. We always like the cover-up. We want to do everything we can not to admit that we're sinners. We don't want to admit that we've done something wrong. So verse number 14. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Notice this. In this letter, David tells Joab, the general, I want you to go find the hottest battle, and I want you to put Uriah in the middle of it. Then when the battle's getting really hot, I want you to pull back all your troops, all the reinforcements, so Uriah's left by alone, with the implication that Uriah is going to die in the middle of battle. David is now consorting to murder. And he is ordering his general to murder his valiant soldier, his faithful soldier, his loyal soldier. What an evil man, evil act this is to kill someone who's so loyal to you. And what makes it worse is that because Uriah's faithfulness, David gave the death sentence for Uriah into Uriah's own hand, knowing that Uriah would be faithful enough to his master that he wouldn't look at the letter. He carried his own death sentence in his hand. And David knew he would never open it. Now, half the people wouldn't even wait that long. They get outside the palace. I want to see what the orders are. You imagine if you opened it up and saw a death sentence on there that the king's trying to kill you? But David didn't even worry about that. Uriah could be trusted with this information. Uriah could be trusted not to peek, not to look in the letter, not to break the seal. He could be trusted to deliver this information and not even know what's in it. You know what David did? Is he took advantage of Uriah's integrity. He took advantage of Uriah's faithfulness and he killed Uriah with his own faithfulness. Uriah was a trusted service and David betrayed that trust. Now as we go through here, I've told you that these words to look forward are powerful words. One of the most interesting words in this whole thing that's repeated is the word send. Notice with me in verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired when the kings go to war that David sent Joab. Notice in verse 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman. Notice with me in verse 4. And David sent messengers. Again in verse number 6. And David sent to Joab. And verse number 14. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. David sent. He sent. Someone who sins is someone who's in control. David is in control of his actions. It wasn't the devil that made him do it. This was purposeful and calculated actions. 
He could have stopped things at any time, but he allowed sin to control his life. He allowed sin to be the leader, but David could have stopped at any time, but he didn't. He was in control. On the other hand, we have Uriah, who was unwavering in his faith and unwavering in his loyalty. None of the soldiers would have known if Uriah went home, but Uriah had integrity. Uriah could have went away with it. None of the soldiers on the front lines would have even blamed Uriah for going home and seeing his wife. But Uriah says, I can't do this. Even though I can get away with it, I won't do this because it's not right. By the way, that's what integrity is. Integrity is doing what is right even when no one else is looking. Integrity is doing what's right even when you can get away with it. Here is two people. One with integrity, one that's lost all of his integrity. David is now not doing what's right. He's trying to cover up his sin. When the cover-up doesn't work, he compounds it with more sin. And then you had Uriah, who chose to do what's right, even when he could have easily got away with it, and no one would have blamed him. Here is a story of two men. One with integrity, one with faithfulness, one with loyalty. And one who's now controlled by sin. He's in control of his actions, but sin is dictating the next step and the next step and the next step. Both of them were in control. Uriah, even when they got him drunk, was still in control. And still did what was right because he was a person of character. Here was David who could have done what was right, but chose not to. As we come to this, we understand that we are in control of our actions. And when we do sin, remember sin is anything we do against God. We understand that it is because of our choice. The Bible talks about in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Do not tell lies. Do you know that when you tell a lie, it is because of your choice? You choose to take tell a lie. Now I understand some people can get in so much of a habit of lying that they do it on instinct. However, there was some point in their life where they made a choice. I could tell the truth or I could lie. Maybe it's something where <clears throat> I just want people to think that I'm better than what I really am. So I'm going to exaggerate the story. That's lying. People have to make a choice. Hmm, I want people to look at me differently, so I'm going to change the story. I'm going to lie. Or, hey, I don't want to get in trouble for what I did, so I'm going to lie. I don't know who did it. Do you ever have Mr. Nobody Live at your place? Who did this? I don't know. I don't know. Mr. Nobody did it. Nobody knew who did it. Someone lied. I don't want to get in trouble. There was a conscious choice. Do I tell the truth or do I tell a lie? When we disobey our folks, it is not because the devil made you do it. When you disobeyed your folks, it was a conscious choice. Mom told me to go take out the trash, but I don't want to. That was a conscious choice that someone made. I don't care what mom says. I don't care what dad says. I want to do what I want to do. That is a conscious choice that people make. That is called sin. None of those sinful actions is because you had to do it. Nobody made you lie. 
Nobody made you disobey your folks. Now, this is important because we have to come to the realization that I am a sinner. I am the one who messed up. I am the one who sinned. It is by my choice. You see, there are many people who are deceived to feel like they can't help but to sin. But the Bible says something different. You are in control of your actions. You made a conscious choice to sin. Because of your conscious choice to sin, you owe God a wage or a payment. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Because you made a conscious choice to sin, there's consequences for your actions. We see that in David's life. There was a consequence for his actions. And he could deal with his sins or he can make it worse. We often make it worse. But there is always consequence for actions. The Bible says for the consequence for our action of sin against God, which is any sin, anytime we've disobeyed his commandments, for the wages of sin is death. The word death carries the idea of separation. For example, if we had a funeral and we'd have a casket here, we would say the person in there is dead. Because their body is there, but what makes them them is separated out. There's a separation now. The Bible says that because of our sin, the wage, the payment we owe God is death. We deserve to be separated from God spiritually. What does that mean? Well, when we die, there's only two places to go. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. In order to go to heaven, we have to be perfect. But unfortunately, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So because we deserve to be separated from God, we don't deserve to go to heaven because we have to be perfect and we're not. The only other place to go is an awful place called hell. So someone may say, well, I don't want to hear that, but we have to tell you the truth. Because of your actions, because of your willful choice, because you made a decision, there are consequences for it and you deserve an awful place called hell. Now, God never created hell for a single human to go there. He created hell to punish Satan and his demons. Man goes there by default because there's nowhere else to go. But here's the good news. God didn't want to see a single person go to that awful place called hell. So what God did is he robed himself in flesh. Came down on this earth and lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then he died on the cross to pay for your sins and to pay for mine. And what's more is he did it for free. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God loves us so much he didn't want to see a single person, want to see a single person die and go to that awful place called hell. So Jesus paid the price on our behalf. And all we have to do is make a willful, purposeful choice to accept that gift. Now, just like sin was willful and purposeful, you made a choice to do that. Nobody gets saved by accident. You have to, on purpose, decide to take that gift. To decide for yourself. You understand what this is speaking about is that you are responsible for your own actions. That you make a choice to sin, but then we can make the choice to accept 
the gift that Jesus made for us. So the question I want to ask you first of all, dear friend, has there ever been a time in your life where you realized that you had offended a holy, righteous God and that you were a sinner? And because of that sin, you owed God a great price, the awful place called hell. But Jesus paid the price for you and you came to the place where you on purpose accepted that free gift of salvation, the free gift of forgiveness of your sins. If not, dear friend, let me tell you, the greatest thing that could happen to you today is for someone to take an open Bible and to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven and how you can personally receive that gift of salvation, of forgiveness of your sins because of what Jesus did for you. Now, for those of you who are saved, praise the Lord for that, may I give another reminder that you sin and you sin purposely? That when you sin, it's not because someone made you do it. It's not because, well, this is just how I am. You made a choice to sin. Now, the good news is, is that you can have victory over sin. And tonight, I'd like to show you how you can avoid sin and protect yourself from sin. And we're going to learn from the life of David what should have happened and how you could set up things in your life to avoid continuing in sin with the help of of the Lord Jesus Christ and His grace. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.